So the scripture reading this morning is again from uh, the Gospels, this time from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. You can find it printed in your bulletin if you don't have a Bible or Bible app or something uh, with you that uh, you can open up to. But otherwise, let's all turn to Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 28. Beginning at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that I am? Or sorry, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some of you are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is God's word. Yeah. I don't often get cheers when I finish reading the Bible, but that's cool. Okay, um, so just a reminder, there's, a, there's a, a little outline in the back of the bulletin for you to follow if you want to follow along. Also, we take questions often after the sermon for anybody who wants to ask them. You can text me those questions, check questions for clarification, etc. You may have all kinds of questions about this passage because it's a doozy, right? Um, but I reserve the right to tell you I don't know the answer because uh, there is more in these verses uh, that we just read than I can understand at any one given time. This morning, we're going to focus our attention on this exchange that Jesus has with Peter because, like I said last week, what we're doing over these few Lenten weeks together is we are reflecting on Jesus, who He is, and our relationship to Him. Some of us have almost no relationship to Him at all. All He is is a name. 
He's a figure from history. Some of us have a very powerful, strong connection with Jesus. For, For us, He is our Savior, our Lord. He's our friend. He's our everything. Most of us, we we would probably say that our relationship with Jesus is very complicated. Uh, Sometimes we're feeling tight, like we're we're bros, you know? And sometimes we're thinking, I don't know much about this guy, and I don't understand him. And actually, frankly, based upon how my life is going right now, I'm not very pleased with him either. And so over these these weeks, what we're doing is, is we're looking at these different encounters that one of Jesus' closest disciples, a guy named Peter, has with him. And we're, we're sort of trying to understand uh, what we can learn about Jesus and about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus from these interactions. Last week, we looked at Jesus and Peter meeting one another for the first time, and we saw how Jesus called Peter into relationship and how Peter accepted that call, and so the adventure uh, begins. The two of them go on this adventure, along with a few others, together uh, with Jesus preaching and teaching this kingdom of God and Peter uh, being with him along for the ride. And what we said is, is that, I don't know if I said that, so I'll say it now. Uh, one thing I would say is, is that Peter didn't know exactly what he was getting into. When he agreed to follow Jesus, when he left his nets behind and his boat behind and his family behind, he said, I'm going with you, but it doesn't mean he, he totally understood what he had signed up for. Because you see, he had some preconceived notions about who Jesus is and about what his character was like. He had a, some preconceived ideas about what it meant to follow Jesus, and he, he misunderstood things. And you see that in this passage very quickly, right? On the one hand, Jesus uh, says that Peter totally gets it. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, bang on, Peter, you nailed it. And then, like, two seconds later... You, you discover that Peter is like way off base and doesn't understand things because when Jesus explains how he's going to be this figure called the Messiah, Peter says, no, 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 that's not how you're going to do things. And Jesus says, get lost. And so Peter needs an education. He needs, so how do I put this? Very, I hope this doesn't offend you, but look, we're all to some degree immature in our spiritual relationship with Jesus. Even those of us who have known him for a really long time, there's an immaturity about us. We need to be educated about what it means to truly follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus does with Peter this morning. Because you see, we all come to him with our own preconceived notions about what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be a follower of God. And so we all need this education, and we're going to look at it uh, this morning. We're going to see how Jesus commends Peter, and then we're going to see how Jesus corrects Peter, and then how Jesus educates Peter, and that's what we're going to look at. Let's go for it. First of all, how Jesus commends Peter. This is the first part of the story. In verses 13 through 20, Jesus says to the disciples, hey, you know, the Oh, we've been around. I've been teaching and preaching and, and uh, doing miracles and stuff. What do, what do the people think? What do they say? What's the word on the street? What's the buzz? What, what's, what's on people's Twitter feeds about me? And they respond with an explanation. You know, you're one of the prophets or maybe you're Moses or you're Elijah. You're one of these guys. And Jesus says, okay, now what do you think? Who do you guys say that I am? And Peter speaks up 
on behalf of, of the rest of the disciples. And Peter says this incredible thing. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this, my friends, is an absolutely amazing statement. Because what Peter is saying is, is, is look, Jesus, we don't think you're just a prophet like other people are saying, or an, an incredible great leader like Moses. Now, don't forget, Moses, to the Jewish people, he was the greatest leader of all time in all of history. And if they're saying that Jesus is like Moses, that's a huge compliment. But Peter is saying, no, 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 that's not good enough. You see, prophets... Moses, these people, what they did was they pointed you to God. They came and they spoke on behalf of God and they pointed you to God. But Jesus, you're different. You are the Messiah. You're not pointing yourself to or pointing people to God. You're pointing people to yourself. You're saying, I am the way, not saying there is the way. That's a huge difference. And so in response to that, Jesus says in verses 18 and 19, he says, uh, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He says one of the greatest things to Peter, one, he gives almost one of the greatest compliments to Peter that he gives to anyone in any of the Gospels. He says, I am going to, based upon, now, I'm not going to get into it too much, but basically he says, Peter... You are so right. You are so bang on. You have, you have such a profound insight that couldn't come from human insight. That had to be revealed to you by God himself. And I am so happy with that revelation that on that, that confession that you have made, I am going to build my church through you and through your disciples, but certainly through you. Now here's one thing that all the... The, the scholars agree on, okay? Verse 18 and 19 is a bit complicated. If you know much about the history of the church, you'll know that there are different interpretations of what exactly Jesus is saying there, depending if you come from a Catholic tradition or a Protestant tradition. There's lots of differences. But all these different scholars from these different traditions, they all agree on this. If you do not understand this basic thing about Jesus, you are not part of the church. I know, I put that pretty starkly. But here's what Peter understands. See, every religion in the world basically says, if you strive toward the goal, you can achieve it. Okay? If you strive towards practicing to the best of your ability the, the, the teachings of Buddhism, or if you strive towards the best of your ability the teachings of Hinduism, or if you strive to incorporate to the best of your ability the teachings of Islam, you can achieve the outcome. Christianity is utterly unique because Jesus comes along and Peter recognizes that, that Jesus comes along to say that I am the one who is doing the striving, not you. You're not in based upon your efforts. You're going to be brought into this kingdom, whatever it is. He doesn't even understand what that is yet, but he's at least understanding that whatever that is, he's going to be brought in based upon Jesus' striving. It's hard to say Jesus in the possessive, eh? You've got to understand this, friends. If, if you're going to be in the Christian faith, that is the one central thing you need to understand. 
It is the foundational teaching of the Christian faith. The whole thing falls apart if that is not the bedrock. Peter articulated that. In that simple statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he articulated that, and he was commended for it. And so Jesus says one of the greatest things to anybody when he says to him what he says to him. That's the first thing. The weird thing, though, is that it's immediately followed by the second thing, which is Jesus corrects Peter, because one minute later, like, Peter is way up, and all of a sudden, one minute later, Peter is way down because Jesus says one of the worst things he says to anybody in any of the Gospels. He, he says to him in verse 23, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Wow. He lays into him, right? This is, this is nearly a curse. He, he calls him Satan of all things. And then look at verse 24. He, he continues. He says, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, I must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That means that the disciples were there. When Jesus, so Peter takes Jesus aside and he says, hey man, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go to the cross. You're not gonna die. That's, that's not gonna happen. And, Peter, and Jesus responds like with this very public rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of man in mind. And all the other disciples are around. And then he starts teaching all the disciples. He rebukes him publicly right in front of everybody. And the, there's, there can be only one reason that he did that. And that is that the sentiment that Peter was expressing, the idea that Peter was sharing, had to be so dangerous that it wasn't just dangerous to Peter. It was dangerous to everybody. So what Peter was saying to Jesus was so toxic, was so contrary to what Jesus was saying that, that he had to give him this, this sort of public rebuke. And what was so toxic about what was so horrible? Verses 21 and 22. Or verse 22. Or so, yeah, little, verses 21 and 22. So it says in verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So there's the teaching that Jesus gives. Peter's response is, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. What's going on here? All right, let me try to explain this. Back in verse 16, Peter called Jesus the Christ. The Christ... Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? It's a title. The Old Testament word for that title is Messiah. Messiah is a title that refers to a figure from the Old Testament that the prophets were talking about and were, were looking forward to because God had told the people of Israel that there was going to one day come this figure called the Messiah, and this Messiah was going to put everything right in their world. He was going to get rid of the oppressors. He was going to get rid of the, uh, the, the evil that was happening in the world. He was going to, to rule over God's people with righteousness and virtue and goodness. You know, like he was going to be everything that we're not seeing in politics right now. Right? You watch the politicians today and everything that come out of their mouth, you're thinking to yourself, 
I don't buy it. This is just to buy votes, or this is just to get that, or this is just for your friends in power or whatever. But Jesus was going to be different. He was going to be this figure that was going to put everything right. And, and the world, not just the people of Israel, not just the Jews, but the whole world was going to benefit from his rule and was going to experience tremendous flourishing under this rule. And the way he was going to do that, okay, was he was going to do that through revolution and through power. He was going to exercise his power. He was going to bring revolution. And Peter identifies, rightly identifies Jesus as that figure. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. Okay? But then when Jesus explains how he's going to do that as the Messiah, Jesus talks about, I'm going to be suffer. I'm going to suffer. The leaders, the religious leaders, they're not going to accept me. Instead, they're actually going to take me and they're going to kill me. And my triumph, basically, he says, will come through my defeat. I'm going to be killed. And Peter objects to that. And he says, no, 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 no. That's not how it's going to happen. And that's why Jesus gets angry with him. Now, Hopefully, if I'm explaining this well, you're also thinking to yourself, well, why, okay, but why be so harsh about it? Why is Jesus, like, so mad about it? And why does he call him Satan? And the reason he calls him Satan is, is because Peter does the exact same thing that the devil did. If you go back a few chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll come to Matthew chapter 4. And in that passage, there's a story of Jesus going out into the desert to be tempted by Satan, by the devil. And the devil comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, so, you're going to be king, hey? I've heard about how this is supposed to happen, and I just want you to know, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to get kicked around. You don't have to be mocked and, and shamed by people. And you don't have to go to that, that cross thing and die. Listen, if you just bow down, worship me, you can avoid all of that. And you can have the kingdom. I'll give it to you. See, Satan says to Jesus, look, the Father's way your father's way is to get this kingdom through suffering and through denial and through service and through tribulation and through loss and through weakness. But, but if you follow my way, you can get the kingdom through accomplishment, through victory, through achievement, through power, through strength, through domination. And Peter is echoing those very words to Jesus here in Matthew 16. And Jesus says, that's the world's way. That's the world's way. That's why he says to Peter, you have in mind not the things of God, you have in mind the things of men. Catch that? So here's what Jesus is saying. Here's the implication. The world, Jesus says, that's us, okay? We're the world. Hello? People in the world, we have been duped by Satan. We have bought the lie. We have come to believe that you can get joy, you can get greatness, you can get fulfillment and satisfaction in this life without the cross. You can experience fulfillment without the way of the cross. You can avoid it. You can do an end run around it. And understand something here. Peter's a follower of Jesus. Peter, you could say, is a 
for lack of a better term, I guess, a Christian. But he's completely out of touch with how, with what it means to follow Jesus, with how he's supposed to follow Jesus. And frankly, this is most of us. Look, most of us here have finally kind of met Jesus and and put our trust in Jesus because he has solved a problem for us. Right? You got marriage problems. You think, if I give my life to God and I do things God's way, maybe he can fix my marriage. Maybe you have addiction problems. You say, if I give my life over to God, to Jesus, he'll, he'll take away my addiction problems. Maybe you're having struggles with your kids, raising them up, and you're, you're like, well, maybe if we kind of implement biblical values in our home, Maybe the chaos will be controlled a little bit better. Maybe, maybe if, I, if I trust God, I can deal with my anxiety. Or maybe if I put my hope in Jesus, I can get over my depression. And he, he meets a need for me. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Because Jesus does meet all those needs. If you're here and I hit you with one of those illustrations, that's you. Don't say, oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, he's telling me I shouldn't believe that anymore. I'm telling you, yes, keep believing that. But understand that that's not ultimately what the relationship is about. That's not ultimately what the relationship is supposed to be based upon. Jesus helps me. Because listen, I know that sounds like a great arrangement. We say, I need things. He can provide things. And he does provide things. But when bad things happen, when suffering enters your life, when you hit a brick wall, all of a sudden you say to yourself, what the heck's going on here? Why is this happening to me? I didn't sign up for this. Jesus is supposed to take that stuff away. He's supposed to protect me from that stuff. I'm supposed to be okay now. And here I am. I'm in the midst of the the crap of life again. I got sold a lemon. Well, like Peter, you need an education. I need an education. And that's what Jesus gives after he rebukes Peter and corrects Peter. He educates Peter. And just note something. This this exchange, okay, between Peter and Jesus where Jesus says, you got to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Every single gospel records this. Every gospel writer records it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of those books tell the story of Jesus' life, and every single one of them includes this incident. Mark even goes so far as to say that Jesus calls the crowds to him. So he's not just saying, disciples, listen up. He's saying, everybody, listen up. And this means, scholars say that this means that that this was something that Jesus had to have been constantly teaching about. He didn't just say it once. He said it all the time. So it's a core teaching. It's central. If you want to get him, you want to understand him, you've got to understand this. And he says in verse 24, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Verse 25, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Verse 26 What good will it be for a man or woman if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? 
If there's anybody here this morning who had the idea of Jesus meek and mild, soft and gentle, warm and cuddly, this is either crazy talk or this is the absolute heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this is the key to life. These are probably some of the hardest words Jesus speaks in all of the Gospels, and there's so much in here, it would take weeks and weeks and weeks, but we got to cut to the chase. And I promise you, you're not going to like it. Basically, Jesus says this, to follow me means you have to die to your old life. There is no adding me to your lifestyle. I am not a gym membership. I am not cutting out gluten. I am not getting up earlier every day and going for a half hour walk. You come to me, you literally die to your old life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who if you don't know who he is, Google him, you'll find out pretty quick. He once said that when a man, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You have to die to your old life. Now that sounds cra- like dramatic and crazy, and if you're, if you're new to Christianity, that just sounds just plain weird. What on earth does that mean? Well, he explains it when he says, you have to lose your life for my sake if you want to find it. And you say, well, that didn't help. What does that mean? <laughs> Well, first of all, it means this. Jesus is saying that you and I, we try to save our lives by gaining the world. In verses 25 and 26, he says, you know, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Listen to verse 26. What good will it be for a man or woman if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his own soul? What he's saying is this. He's saying that you're trying, we try to find our life in this world, through this world. Well, what does that mean? You latch your life onto success. Maybe it's financial success. Maybe it's relationship success. Maybe it's academic success. You latch your life onto that. You get your sense of identity. You get your sense of strength and security from how successful you are. For, for some of you, it's how well you're doing in your career. You're thinking, if I can make partner by the time I'm 35, boom, I've, I know who I am. So for some of you, it's your relationship. You think, if I can get that woman to love me or if I can get that guy to stay with me, boom, then I know who I am. You, some, for some of you, it's your academic credentials. You say, if I can get into that that program, if I can get that master's degree and put that, that, that degree on my wall, boom, then I know who I am. And Jesus is saying, when you live for those things, all you end up with at the end of the day is ashes. You get ashes in your mouth. You're feeding on these things, but in the end, it tastes like ashes because they, they end up not cutting it and you end up losing yourself. And I could give you illustration after illustration after illustration after illustration, but I'll just give you one of my favorites. Chris Everett, one of the great tennis players ever. After she left tennis, her life went... She, like, just... She was a train wreck. 
And after she came out of this train wreck period of time and she stabilized, she had time to reflect on what in the world happened to her. And in an interview, she was extremely candid and she said this, I had no idea who I was or what I could be away from tennis. I was depressed and afraid because so much of my life had been defined by my, making, my being a tennis champion. I was completely lost. Winning made me feel like I was somebody. It made me feel pretty. It was like being hooked on a drug. I needed the wins. I needed the applause in order to have an identity. This is what led Flannery O'Connor to, to state, and it's in the quote on the front of your bulletin, Always you renounce a lesser good for a greater. The opposite is sin. Picture me with my ground teeth stalking joy, fully armed as it's a mighty dangerous quest. And what she's talking about there is the very thing that Chris Everett is talking about. We're all stalking joy. You're all hunting for that thing that is going to, to, to connect with your heart and your soul so that when you wake up in the morning, you don't feel like a bag of dirt. You feel like there's purpose and meaning and, and, and excitement about being alive. We're all looking for that thing, and understandably so. And yet Jesus is here saying, I know you've got to give yourself to something, but you've got to give yourself to me. He doesn't just say give yourself to something. He says give yourself to me. You must lose your life for my sake. In other words, you turn your life over to my goals, my agenda, my pat even my pattern, pattern of living. That's what you've got to base your life on. And you say, well, what does that look like? Well... Somebody hurts you. If you're in a relationship, a romantic relationship, you totally know what this is like. If you want to make a romantic relationship work, here's what you got to do. If, if your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, if they hurt you, if you're going to hold it against them and make them pay, that relationship is not going to, st it's not going to last very long. You got to forgive, right? You got to learn to forgive. But, but what does it take to forgive? It takes a cross. It takes sacrifice. It takes absorbing the cost yourself. You don't retaliate. It means that when you look at your money and you look at your resources and you're, you're, you, you decide what to do with them and you say, well, I'm going to give more than the 0.8% of my money away that Canadians typically give away. I'm going to give away a lot of that money. And you, and you say, but, but that hurts too because it means that I'm limited. I can't do the things that I want to do with my money. Or, or you, if you purposely say, I'm going to seek community, I'm going to actually let people into my life. This is, okay, I'll be honest with you. Truth-telling time. This one is super hard for me. I'm going to actually open up my life to other people and let them in far enough so that I give them the right to speak truth into it. Well... That's the way of Christ, but that's not the way I want to live. I don't want you all up in my business and telling me what to do, right? I got my problems, you got your problems, you deal with yours, and I'll deal with mine, and we'll both be miserable together. Or what if you decide to open your life up and give up your time for other people, people who are needy, people who are messed up, and people who need a lot of support and help? That's going to cramp your style. 
because you wanted to watch the game on Friday night, but now you're out in the coffee shop talking to someone who's struggling. That's the pattern of Jesus Christ. That's taking up your cross because when you take up your cross, you're going to be opposed, you're, you're, you're going to be shamed, you're going to suffer, and you may even die. Now, why would you do that? Why would you do that? That was a pretty good sales pitch, eh? Hey, give your life to Jesus. Doesn't it sound like fun? But listen to what Jesus says. Don't forget what Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. See, when you do this, when you give yourself to Jesus, Jesus promises you'll find yourself, you'll find your life. Huh? Why is that? Why is Jesus different from gaining the world, right? Like, why give yourself to him? Why not just give yourself to your money or your success or your kids or your beauty? And there's two reasons why, and we'll close with those. The first reason is because Jesus is the only thing that if you give yourself to him, he cannot be taken away. What happened to Chris Everett? She gave herself to tennis, and it was a great ride for a decade or so, but then her knees kind of started to give out, and she lost half a step, and those young punks were coming up, nipping at her heels, and finally they dethroned her, and she was just yesterday's hero. See, if you give yourself to a relationship, even if it's an amazing relationship, and you get 70 years out of that relationship, in all likelihood, one of you will be at the graveside of the other. And if you give yourself to your career, if you give yourself to your children, if you give yourself to your looks or your academic prowess or whatever, eventually it gets taken away. But Jesus is never taken away. Never taken away. And then the second reason. You can give yourself to him and you can trust that you can give yourself to him because, listen to verse 21. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Everything Jesus is asking you to do, he did it first. He denied himself, took up his cross and followed the will of his heavenly Father all the way to death. And even when he asked his Father, look, is there any other way? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death on the cross, he pleaded with the Father, if there's any other way, if there's any way we can take this cup from me and I can do this another way, please, let's do this another way. And when the Father said, no, this is it, this is the only way, son, he said, let your will be done, not mine. See, Jesus lost his life for your sake so that it's safe for you to lose your life for his. He did it first. And so you can entrust yourself to him. So where does that leave us? Very quickly, very simply, very easily. If you're here this morning and you are wondering... Can I give myself to him? 
Is it safe to give myself to him? Is it true what he's saying? All I can tell you is keep asking. But don't just ask yourself. Ask him. Read about him. And as you read about him, just ask him if you're real, if you're who you say you are, can you prove that to me, please? And if you are open to that, if you truly are, he will, he will show you. And Christian friends, if you're here this morning and you have been struggling to deny yourself and take up your cross, well, I'm not going to tell you, pull up your bootstraps, you can do it. What I'm going to tell you is, go back to the story. Go back to the cross and see him dying there for you. And meditate on who he is and what he's done. And let that melt your heart so that, so that eventually your only response can be, how can I hold back? How can I hold back? Let's pray. God, boy, anyone who ever thought that the Bible was a self-help book sure got that wrong. There's so much in it that is challenging to our hearts. But it's not a self-help book. It is a, it is a rescue manual. Help us to see Jesus as our rescuer, worthy of our allegiance. Help us to put our trust in him. We do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.